Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is the 40 and 20 podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? Man, I'm good. I'm really great. Uh, You you know, stressed uh, in life. I I think that, you you know, these lives we lead are are stressful, and there's a certain um, attractiveness to being stressed out. you know, putting yourself into a stress, putting yourself into a stressful situation is there's something that calls. Oh yeah. You get to put the victim hat on and be like, I'm so tired. I'm so stressed. <laughs> I don't think that's it. I mean, I think that there's something more, uh, you, you know, growth all comes from stress. Oh, okay. No, I, I take that. Yeah. And you, you know, um, the, the things that are important and accomplishing, uh, accomplishing things that feel important is a byproduct of stress usually. Yeah, so, a, well, no, 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 stress is a byproduct of. It's, it's a byproduct right. of ambition. It, yeah, it, it, there, success is a byproduct of of the situation that typically is stressful. You, mm-hmm. you know, n- normally by and large. So, um, I always have to when I'm feeling stressed. I always have to remind myself that. Um, you, you know, unless I'm stressed because I've, I've boned something up, which happens too. you, you know, uh, if I'm stressed because I'm, I'm working or I, there's high pressure, I have to remind myself that the stress is good. The stress is good. A, it, it brings you to another level of, of efficiency. And, and I think sometimes it can increase your capacity for, for doing good things, but it also hurts. I've never been stressed as a function of messing something up, uh, cause I've never done that. But I do understand the, the stress. <laughs> and when you mess something up, you don't care. No, it's somebody else's fault. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> somebody else did it. I always tell my wife, I'm, I've I've only been wrong once, and that was because I was trying to say that I was wrong when I wasn't actually wrong. So Right. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. So, you know, I, I'm sort of uh, in sort of an occupational transition point, and that's stressful. And, you, you, you know, sometimes everything just sort of seems to to stack at the same time oh yeah and especially the way i do things i tend to push a certain number of things back that's just how i operate but when you do that you when you backload things you don't count on the thing popping up and so when everything simultaneously yeah that's right and when everything's already sort of backloaded to to the last minute anyway and that last minute you add more things i think part of that is perception though I think I think your your perspective affects so much how stressed you are because when something bad happens, your first inclination is that the next something that happens, you have a negative lens that you view it through. I think our perception really affects the amount of stress that we have in our lives. Yeah, no, for, certainly it does. Certainly it does. And, and I'll tell you, I, I'm sort of, um, I'm sort of e- easily stressed out too. So it doesn't take a whole lot to get my sort of stress level up, you know, you add a couple of things and all of a sudden I'm, I'm kind of a crazy person. So, but I think right now I'm reasonably stressed. I, I, I will look Healthy. back at this moment in life and, and think, oh yeah, you were stressed because holy cow, that was stressful. Stress is healthy. You, you know, the year I graduated or the, the week I graduated from college, so 2006, um, that week I graduated. I got married and I started a new job with Sherwin Williams. Nice. All in the same, all in the same week. And, and you know, I think a lot of people do that. They sort of graduate and and start work. Not everybody throws a marriage into there or a trip to Mexico. Uh, so there was all these things happening, and we were renting our first. Well, for me, renting not my first apartment, but my first, I guess, grown up apartment. Where you're on the lease, and you're not just like 
some dude who shows up and pays cash once a month. Right, right. And I had rented apartments individually before that. And, and, and Kim at the time had rented apartments before that too. So she was comfortable with it. But it just, it's like, God, there's a lot. There, There's a lot here happening in my life. And all um, good things. Y- yeah, they were all good things. But I, I remember being stressed out and, and, and thinking, gosh, I'm not handling this very well. And now I look back and I was like, well... Yeah, dummy, you were trying to do a lot, uh, you, you know, and I think I'll look back on this sort of period into my life the same way. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Was, there was a lot going on, and that's why you were stressed. But, yeah, other than that, I'm good. How are you? Great. Staying busy. Obviously, also the same. Not stressed out by it. Powering through my books. Just plugging away, man. Just plugging away. You start anything new or interesting? Well, book number four. Well, or, yeah. So I'm I uh, I haven't started it. So next up on the list is Gang Leader for a Day. I forget who wrote it. Um, it's by a sociologist who I don't really know the whole premise of it. Uh, it's a book that Sam read in college, and I had on the shelf in our office. So I said, "Hey, what better time than now?" Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. Well, well, good. So you you know you you say you're through four. I'm not sure that you people you people. And I mean that. Uh, I'm not sure that you people are going to hear this w- when you're going to hear this, right? You're, you're yeah, cert- there's some... We know that you'll hear this at least a week and a half from today, but more likely two and a half weeks from today. But possibly even longer than that. We're yeah, also... we, might just, we might just put this one in our pocket. We're recording this on the same day that we recorded our, our Boulevard episode. So we're, we're going back to back. Um, and, and the reason for that is because we're going to Mexico in... Holy shit. Five we're, going, days. we're going to Mexico on Friday. Today is Sunday. God, that's awesome. Uh, so going to Mexico, and we don't know that we're going to be able to upload. So we are going to... No, we don't know that we're going to be able to record. I don't think recording is going to be an issue. Recording is going to be but the, fine. But I think the transition from record to upload, I think if I think the, the whole purpose of it was to have an episode ready to go, ready to launch. So if any number of things go wrong, yeah. we've got it already in SoundCloud, already ready to publish. And so if, you, if you're hearing this when we're in Mexico, when you expect to hear when you expect to hear a Mexico episode, that's why it's because we've had terrible, terrible diarrhea or some technical difficulties. Probably both though. <laughs> I think the diarrhea is inevitable. Andrew is got third degree sunburns and Everett's been in the to- toilet for two hours. <laughs> I thought you were to say third degree burns. Like that's not out of the realm of possibility. Like who knows that's what's going to happen. Third degree sunburns, right? Well, I was thinking of diarrhea, third degree burns. <laughs> that's a bad diarrhea, man. I mean, I'm sort of emotionally preparing for Mexico to do a number on my delicate digestive system. Speaking of which, those Carolina Reaper, that Carolina Reaper hot sauce, you doing okay? Yeah, a little rumbly. I, I got I got worked a little bit earlier. A little rumbly, but I'm good. So we went, we went, and uh, there's a place here called Toxic. I always want to say Toxic Natos. Oh, let's go to Toxic Natos for dinner. It's mm. called Toxic Wings. It's, Terry, we're on the way. <laughs> it's called Toxic Wings, and they do uh, a couple of hot sauces that are hotter hotter than their other sauces and 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 realistically they're not all that hot i mean they're spicy uh, but they're not they're not gonna wreck your life well i don't know some people they may some people they may they've got some punch to them and i'm a i'm a i don't like not spicy wings so these are these are right on the cusp of where i want them and we were talking about it last night i don't know if wings can be as spicy as i want them because it's such a it's such a razor thin line from not spicy enough to too spicy right you get over it and it's too much yeah and i could have i could have eaten 
a whole, I mean, I had 12 of those wings. I could have eaten an easy 20 of those wings with that flavor. Any hotter though, 12 would have been, I would have been done. You know, there's a hot mama's another wing place in town has a, uh, a hot sauce that they add the bomb to. I think it's their regular Frank's, mm-hmm. uh, their Frank's with butter, Buffalo sauce, and they add the bomb to it to make it, to upscale it. And I haven't tried that, but I'd like to, I think I'd like to. I've thought about buying a bottle of it. Of the bomb. Mm-hmm. If you guys don't know, uh, we've talked about it on the show yeah, before, but Hot Ones, Hot Ones is, a, is both Andrew and I's favorite sort of ongoing uh, YouTube interview show. And uh, the premise is they interview people with increasingly hot. I think second to last or third to last, depending on what season it is, is Da Bomb, which is such a stupid name. And this hot sauce is almost universally despised by everybody that eats mm-hmm. it. But I think it's probably just ridiculously spicy and painful um I, I don't know because when you watched alton brown alton brown watch that fella eat it he just he he just ate it and was like yeah this doesn't taste very good right <laughs> well i think he's kind of a freak he he might be a freak but it, it, you can't even attribute it to his palate just being blown out right because he has a very discerning palate right you, you know it, you and i i think both like stuff a little bit spicier than the average bear but i'm i'm pretty sure that we'd we'd get hammered maybe not that scale so. mix it up some butter right I mean, I'd, I'd get through it. I would certainly be uncomfortable. You, you know, the nice thing about wings, wings <laughs> being my favorite food, is wings are, are keto-friendly. Mm-hmm. Wings are keto-friendly, so I can eat hot All wings. of them. All of them, yeah. I mean, by and large, And most are. hot sauces are going to be keto-friendly because they're not going to be adding sugar. It's all going to be chili paste and That's right. And vinegar. Mo- most of them are. And you got to be careful. You just have to know what you're eating because some, certainly some do add a lot of sugar. Like uh, sriracha's got a lot of sugar in it. Sriracha's got quite a bit. But but even then, usually it's an imaginable amount. The amount of hot sauce you're eating is manageable and the amount of sugar in the hot sauce is manageable. So you just have to know what you're eating and be conscious of it. Did you get the chili garlic sauce from the same company? For, I, from sriracha? Mm-hmm. No, I haven't. No you sugar. Can... That's the only difference. Uh-huh. Well, it, it's different. It tastes different, but it's chili garlic sauce. No sugar. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to try it. I haven't. I haven't. You know, and certain fats have have a sweetness to them, too. So one, one way that you can make foods feel, meet that same uh, sweetness is with fat. You, you can get some of the same qualities. Bacon. So. Yeah, right. That's right. Bacon yeah. actually has a lot of natural sweetness to it without having very much sugar at all. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we've. We've got a watch that we want to talk about before we get started. We do. You're you're holding on to it for dear life. I might not let it go. In fact, I might take it to Mexico and not return. <laughs> I keep uh, I keep sort of vaguely threatening on Instagram that I'm not going to send this thing back. Watch you seek, or excuse me, Instagram user the right wrist uh, sent us a copy of his notice Avalon just to take a look at. Maybe not a copy. Probably his notice Avalon. Uh, oh yeah, right. Yeah, no, it's not a copy. I don't know what I meant when I said that. I don't know either. It still sounds right when I say it back in my head, but yeah, no, it's not a copy. It's just actually his Notice Avalon. And this is a production version of the Notice Avalon. It's the blue dial with the steel bezel. We've posted this thing on Instagram at this point. Uh, You certainly have seen it. Uh, Also, check out the right wrist. He's got great photos Mm -hmm. and, uh, you you know, great, great Instagram page. And he's just a generally super nice dude. Obviously, he sent us his watch. Right. So nice and maybe not super smart. No. Send, well, know. I mean, he did ask for one of our children as collateral, so <laughs> we won twice. And Mark's super cute, too. I bet they're having a blast. Yeah, maybe. Or I mean, I might be having more fun just wearing it. So, yeah, uh, you know, gosh. It, it is a beautiful watch. Just, just 
right right from looking at it the the polish is right the the brushing is right and what stands out most to me is this dial color this is not a, a blue dial color i think i've in memory seen before anywhere else what would you call that i, I mean it's blue <sighs> I don't know, but it's it's matte finish mm-hmm. is you would think would contrast, but is gorgeous. It's sort of dusty it, uh, it and, and kind of grabs you, purple. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. But it's it's what's striking to me is is so many dials. It either they're black and have kind of a glossy finish, or they're a color and have a glossy finish, or they're sunburst. There's all these variations, and this blue you just don't see colors very often in such a flat finish. Right. And this is, it is great. It just, it grabs your eyes and it pulls you right into that watch. Really big markers, really big bold hands with really what I imagine is to be great loom because that's a lot of surface area on that it's thing. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's really good loom. It is. It, it lights up the closet at night. I imagine. It's just like you have a glowing orb in there. Only thing that I'd say that that I'm I'm not the biggest fan of is is the size. It's a little bit bigger than mm-hmm. than I would personally wear. But barring that, if you if you like that style of diver, it is it's terrific. I love that watch. It, it is a little big, you know, but it fits right in. We, we've talked about this before. It, it it's got that cushion case, you know. I'm not sure if you'd call it a barrel case, but a cushion case, you know, like the like the turtle or mm-hmm. like the the dockside i mean it's not it, it's not exactly like either one of those things it, it sort of holds its own uh without being too much like either one of those things but it does have it, it is reminiscent of those things and, and so i think it fits it, the the size is reasonable knowing that that's um that it's in that world it, it is this comes in at 43.2 so it's not it enormous, feels big though. but it does feel big when you put it on the wrist mm-hmm. Uh, bigger than I thought, and, and I and and I gotta admit, probably a little bit bigger than I'd hoped. Um, it, it's got a twenty millimeter lug width, which I love. It, you know, I think some people would probably want a little bit, would want twenty two on this thing. I, I think the twenty fits great. Oh, it's a it's a great <laughs> ratio size. I mean, it, it the dimensions on it are tremendous. It's just not necessarily for me. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and I get that, and I think that's fair. I, I really like it. I, I, I think that I could see myself buying this. You know, this is outside of, I think, either yours or my easy buying range. So this thing's coming in at 625 and I think this is Notice's most expensive watch. I also think it's Notice's best watch. It's, yeah, it's pretty good. These guys notice they're probably the coolest, I think, in my mind, the coolest young micro brand there is right now. I mean, the the, the owners are really cool. Wes has, has been on several of, of the podcast you he know, did the podcast circuit as it were that that's right and and he seems just like a really gracious fantastic eager to to talk about his product and and he's just a he's just a watch guy he's just a entrepreneurial watch guy who hooked up with his best friend and they started making watches and, and, and you know notice has made some great great watches the mm-hmm. uh the the contrail or not the contrail the um oh what's their uh the retrospect. So the retrospect mm. is their um, the diver they came out with be- before the the Avalon, and it's more of a traditionally shaped dive watch, but it's got this you know this excellent steel uh, bezel that that slopes down. I, I mean everything that they're doing is just cool. They're the accents they put on their second hands are phenomenal. 
the the retrospect that just little little flash of red the almost inverted shape of the second hand on the avalon it's got like a it's a triangular tip but it's i don't know probably probably a millimeter maybe a millimeter and a half shy of the end of the second hand that's a, a triangle pointing in towards the center of the dial sort of a that's reverse loomed. trapezoid or yeah. something yeah it, it, it's a, it's excellent and that's actually i think that that's a detail that they've that they've um cribbed from from classic design and, and i'm not sure who it's from but i've seen that detail before but it's really well executed and they don't here. have to do it that's the thing when mm-hmm. when you're doing when you're doing those small details like that right everything else you can trust is being done right you know i, I love the knurling on the, i love the knurling on this bezel on the side of the bezel it's sort of an interrupted mm-hmm. knurling and i think that the bezel itself the sides of the bezel are blasted and there's brush surfaces on the cases and all the transitions are smooth and just pew, fantastic and even with it being so slim a bezel it's really easy to manipulate mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that's that's right it, it, it is it is slim you know the the up down Mm-hmm. The, the y the y axis it's it is really slim but yeah it feels great in the hand it clicks well you know unlike the mdv 106 there's no play i, th- I mean i think we're looking at a vastly different Th- that's right watch you, we're just at the same time sort of yeah. looking at those two watches uh although you, you'll hear us talk about them in different episodes um it's it's super cool you, you know the, the buckle and clasp is an order of magnitude better than than something you're going to find on a 250 300 watch unless of course you're buying a an emg nemo or something where you're getting just a crazy value you, you know the margins on those things have got to be super slim you know I, I like the fact that notice is like yeah this is how much it costs to make this watch and for us to make a living mm-hmm. this this is what you pay for that and and either you're going to buy it or you don't and obviously they've had good enough luck to continue doing it for three or four years later. So I hope they continue to do it because everything they're doing is just mm-hmm. terrific. They, they get great reception and everybody loves them. So you, you know the Contrail is is the other the other watch they released in the last couple of years and it, it's fantastic. I, I love just about everything about this watch. Thirty nine millimeters, twenty millimeter lug width. It's right there in that golden zone. That knurled crown. That big wide bezel that i love and i know that you're you know but again this one is this one is appropriately proportioned yeah yeah it's it's great i i I like this this one the the notice control reminds me a lot of the monta whatever their whatever their sterile bezel watches and i'm blanking on it triumph uh this -hmm. reminds me a lot of the triumph at a lot more accessible price point 550 versus i think 1250 or whatever for the monta I'd, I'd take one of those monsters in a second if I thought I could afford them. I love it. I think that's the best watch that came out in the last two years. But mm. this is a lot more accessible. Much. Right. Much. So they're killing it. We just thought we'd give them a shout. Shout to the right wrist for... Um, sharing the love. For yeah, sharing the love. We appreciate it. That's so great. And, and, you know, these folks sent us watches and we're just sort of like, what, why? Well, you guys are awesome and we love it. But it's. I think it blows our mind a little bit. It blows our minds that people even listen to us. Yeah. The the only thing, and we talked about it earlier, that I would that I would change about this, is I'm not a fan of the in link. It's a weird detail. It's a weird detail. So the where the where the bracelet meets the case, um, I think the brushing goes in different directions. You know, whereas the brushing on the case is sort of radial, it, it's that vertical brushing on the end link. The fitment is suspect. <clears throat> it it looks deliberate, but it's a design that I. I don't quite 
fully understand. Yeah. It's not flush with the edge of the case. And, and, not to say there's a space, but there's a there's a cutout, you know, that, that arc that you expect in a in an end link, but a not court it doesn't correspond to the shape of the case. It, it doesn't. And I think that you either have to go with extremely flush and make it line up or, or break it there. And they've sort of just let it sit in the middle between mm-hmm. flush and, and, and different. Um, and that's, it's my least favorite detail of that watch. And maybe it's something they should look at when they move forward. But you know, we're the, certainly grasping at straws though, to find a complaint. Very much so. That's the only thing on that watch that even slightly bothers me. Yeah, that's it. Case back is awesome too. Yeah, that great engraving of Excalibur. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know these case backs that have the the matte surfaces on, on the recess get scuffed up really easily. I'm always amazed at how quickly they get scuffed up, and this one's no exception. This one came to me in very good condition from the right wrist, and then we destroyed it. <laughs> but it, it, even as well taken care of as it had been, you know that case back was already. Uh, we did not mess up your watch, <laughs> not yet. Uh, but th- that case back was already already had a significant amount of damage, and that was not your watch falling on the ground. Uh, uh, I am interested in the in the um, tool mechanism method to remove the screw down case back. It is as opposed to what I've seen, which are edges like cutouts on the on the very exterior of the case back. These are. Uh, round, like, drilled-out indentations. Recessed dots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think that that would work fine with the sort of prong-style case-back opener. Mm. I use one of the two-prong, one of the bars that has the the two prongs that go in and out, and so those are flatter and wider, and I don't think it would fit in there. So you'd need to have one of the prong-style um, case-back tools to get the, that off, I think. But Super, super cool, cool watch. <laughs> <laughs> is this... Is this uh, triangle at the 12 on the bezel loomed it sure is yeah yeah it sure is it's it's, great it's beautiful and it's like a torch at night too if you if you charge that thing it beams all the little details as i said i was gonna not do that i'm (laughs) there's a lamp right next to me that in order to see a little bit better details on the dial i leaned over to and then started talking the the details on this dial are just just phenomenal. Such a special watch. Yeah, it's incredible. Thanks to Writers for sending it. Uh, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Notice, for making some cool watches. And we will send it back. So, Although I've been threatening not to. Um, so we're talking about a weird one today. And we're 23 minutes in already. I think that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Because I don't, I don't think we need to talk about this brand for forever because it's I, a stupid brand. I thought there was going to be a lot more to talk about with this brand. But hot take, you heard it here first. We're not fans of Omega. Omega's a stupid brand. I think I concur. It's not true. I mean, they're this wonderful brand. They're this wonderful brand that makes excellent watches. Um, they're just expensive. And I don't know, for me, where they possibly fit in, in terms of my watch buying uh, story. I'll say, caveat, bef- take out everything else we said. I always said, if I got hit by a car and got car hit settlement money, I'd buy a, I'd buy a Speedmaster Pro. Now, Assuming that happens, I may someday show up with the Speedmaster Pro. But if it doesn't, this brand is stupid. <laughs> what from from the research that I did and and looking into this brand, looking at the history of the brand, founded eighteen forty eight, had a pretty um, rocky life life cycle. 
Um, in the thirties, they merged with, or maybe were bought out. It, it was kind of fuzzy when I, when I was reading into it. So go, go back to the beginning, go back to the beginning. So 1848 brand started by Louis Brandt and Le Chaux de Bon in Switzerland. 1879, he dies and his sons take it over. It, this is, uh, they're kids. They're like tw- the oldest is 24. That was a little bit later. That was a little bit later. That's when, he when died? the son- that's when the sons die, when the kids take it over. So so the two sons take it over oh, okay. and then it becomes Brant and it is Brant and son, then it's Brant and brother. Um and, and so they they have this brand that's making sort of at first in that first 30 years just a sort of run of the mill, we're making watches, kind of not anything spectacular. Uh the sons take it over and they start innovating right away. And they come out in the in the late 19th century with the omega caliber so prior to that omega wasn't a thing and they come out with their first movement that they titled the omega caliber and this movement special for a couple of reasons it's special because it's one of the very first movements that's sort of interchangeable parts prior to that movements were you know you 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 set down you make the bridge you make all the parts and they work together and that and that's your movement and and you're not going to necessarily be able to take uh, a, a part from the movement that you made 20 minutes ago and put it on this watch now without without tuning or, or tweaking or, or remachining it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so 1894, the Omega Caliber comes out kind of as a big deal, kind of as a big deal. And that's when their brand sort of becomes Omega. This movement's popular enough that they rebrand themselves. 1903, they register as Omega, and that's when the story of Omega really begins. Although it begins, you know, whatever, 60 years before that, 50 years before that. Uh, as that Brant and, and sons, Brant and brother. And so you're right. When the second of the sons, the brothers, die, it's, Brand is run by 24-year-olds, the oldest of which is 24. Yeah. Running a, a giant, at the time, I think the biggest watch brand in Switzerland. Yes, I think I think that, yeah. 24-year-old kid. That's the dream. <laughs> I couldn't tie my shoes when I was 24. I used Velcro. <laughs> I, Not, I, I mean, I like Velcro shoes. It, it seemed ironic, <laughs> but it was really a lack of um, skill set. <laughs> Even so, now, I just tie a knot. Uh, you can't, you can't tie a knot, tie a lot, and that's what I do. Just a mess. If you, I haven't heard that. I, I take that approach with fishing sometimes. Yeah, tie a lot. <laughs> okay, so uh, Omega. I mean, really, their their story is this fantastically gilded uh history i mean they're from the get-go you know really from from the time they introduced that original omega caliber i think the 19 line yeah um, that's right they think it's right at least they uh really cemented uh this tradition as the the best watch company in the world and uh at, at the time they were innovating better than anybody else they're making cool you know in particular in the movement side of things they're just doing doing the best work out there uh and and in switzerland they quickly become sort of the the accuracy kings Mm -hmm. um they quickly 1905 they're named the official sports timekeeper for all of switzerland sports um some curling maybe you know i think that they do all sorts of sports in switzerland yeah probably those things okay yeah I think maybe basketball, ping pong. I don't think. I don't know about ping pong. <laughs> Probably not basketball. I don't know. No, I don't think so. I don't think. I mean, when did when was basketball invented? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, in the 30s, the Olympic Games in Los Angeles. 
makes Omega the official timekeeper. And I think Omega has largely been the official timekeeper of the Olympic Games, at least the Summer Olympics, from then on. I, I know that well over 20 Olympic Games at this point, including Winter Olympics now, uh, Omega is the official timekeeper. It's sort of their one of their most prominent roles. So is that the key to getting a free Speedmaster? Like, I, have, I, I feel like I have but one option to get one for free, and it's to become an astronaut. You know, I don't know. I don't know if they get them for free or not. They're government property, but I'm going to keep it. <laughs> you you get a lot of free shit when you go to the Olympics. You, you know, a, a friend of mine, or, or I guess a, a, a colleague of mine, uh, his daughter has gone to the Winter Olympics now a number of times. What? And uh, she comes. She just gets free shit. Tons of free shit. Uh, I'm not good at anything. Well, you're certainly not that good. And I'll tell you, to get that good at something, it's an incredible investment of time and money. You, you know, you, you invest time and money to the detriment of everything else, school and friends and everything, right? So she's an Olympic skier, and that's all she does from the time she was 15. I mean, you, really, you're not you're not even educating yourself. You're just skiing. And I think that they're being tutored and... Um, getting degrees or, or you know diplomas or whatever but all they're doing is skiing my statement stands i i am was never nor will i ever be good enough at any one thing to be an olympic athlete well that's right you have to have both the skill and then you have to have the the dedication to that to that thing I, you you've got to have both and and neither one of them is easy no they're both you know it's it's a combination that's you know, quite a bit less than 0.1% of the population. I need population. to admit it. I, I think I could be on Olympic curling team with the proper application of effort. I don't think you could. I think I could. Uh, okay. I can play shit out of shuffleboard. <laughs> That's true. It's just a larger scale to be able to walk on ice in the funny shoes. Even on that weird table at Sunny's. It's... Yeah. Yeah. You're pretty good there. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. I, I mean, it's really in the late 40s that, that Omega sort of hits its stride as the king of wristwatches when they come out with the Seamaster, the Omega Seamaster, which, gall darn, that's probably one of the greatest watches that's ever, ever been made. I mean, it's still to this day one of the, a top 10 recognizable watch, you think? Well, and, and, and you know, Seamaster is tough because it's a family of, we got here. Def Leopard Pale. You know, my very first concert was Def Leopard. And this is appropriate that you're getting a taste. I'm going to drink it, though, because you're doing keto. It's a um, small taste. I won't Ooh, tell. That is good. Yeah. Uh, Elysian Brewing out of Seattle did a Def Leopard Pale in honor of their final tour, I think is what it was for. It's good. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's. Yeah. I got some from work. My, my very first concert, 19, I think 1985. I was four years old. My mom took me to see Def Leppard at the Memorial Coliseum in Portland. I was going to say, you are, you're not that old. 1985. Okay. My mom was, was I think, 24 at the time. So she was a very young woman. Were you in baby earmuffs? I, earplugs. Mm -hmm. The little squishy earplugs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I went with her and her three like best girlfriends at the time. Nice. Yep. Yeah. I mean, as a four-year-old kid, I was like, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. Probably was the coolest thing that happened to you for like 10 more years. I mean... Maybe, maybe maybe until I like got married, it's still the cool. <laughs> so yeah, um, little beer. So I'm actually drinking. Uh, I'm actually drinking. I think this is a you know like a select batch from. It's a this is a a small brewing company called Michelob. Uh, this is from their this is from their health line. It's called Ultra Michelob Ultra. Mm -hmm. uh, really good beer. Yeah, it's a win. <laughs> 
So we need to buy a bottle of whiskey and store it back here. That'd be easier for everyone. Dude, I can drink whiskey. I know that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, the Seamaster. You, you know, I think it's a. I think it's safer to call Seamaster a family of watches. Yeah. When the Seamaster was debuted, it was the Seamaster, and, and now we have the Seamaster Pro and and the Seamaster Railmaster and. Seamaster is sort of this large swath within the family that they kind of keep tucking watches into, uh, you, you know, the Aquaterra. I wish anyone but me could have seen the hand gesture. <laughs> Imagine like a bowling movement, but in, in a very small space. That's what that's what he's doing. With two fingers yeah. pointed directly up. Tucking, tucking it in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so Seamaster. And, and, you know, go from there. Speedmaster, Moonwatch, the full meal deal. (laughs) (laughs) They have some iconic watches, is what we can agree on. Yeah. Iconic. The most iconic watches. I I mean, potentially so, yes. Yeah, I mean, they're up there with Rolex, right? In terms of, you know, and I think the most, most searched, like Google Analytics, most search watch brands are, are Rolex, Omega. And Tog, Tag, Hoyer, uh, you, you know those those three brands are like like two times the next the next lowest brands, probably like the next five. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. I mean, it's yeah. a huge drop off, almost almost two times the next brand. So so these three brands are just killing it. And and, and you know Rolex we know makes fantastic mass produced watches. Omega, we know, makes fantastic mass-produced watches. Tag, I think, makes maybe less fantastic, but also great watches. You know, I don't know as much about them. And I think they do a better better job with their um, with their ambassadors mm-hmm. and their marketing. Like, they did a Tom Brady branded, the, the TB12 uh, watch. I, th- I think they do a little bit better job of commercialization. Like, they're... they're... Than Omega? Uh, <sighs> Omega's got... a. I mean, they have tons of brand ambassadors. They've got placements everywhere. I I feel like I think they do it about my my take is that they're about the same in that world. Maybe maybe it's just my perception. So, well, of that's it. so yeah. What, what so is the... what I'm seeing is that I feel like Rolex and Omega are marketed to they're marketed purely as luxury watches, where watch people and non watch people buy them in the same way, like in in, in probably similar similar ratios. Whereas I feel like tag is appealing through like their sports marketing is appealing to people who want a luxury watch with that football appeal, with the golf appeal, with the a, a little bit just a different market. I think that they're specifically targeting, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's just in purely like an ill perception. But I I feel like Rolex and Omega are marketed as purely luxury brands to people with a shitload of money to spend on watches. And I don't feel like that's exactly what what Tag is doing. You, you know, I think that they're doing really similar things, but but Tag is doing it. I think they're coming in. I think Tag's goal is to pick up the slack from folks to go to the jeweler to look for a Rolex and realize they can't afford it. But, but totally, totally possible and pretty reasonable. And, and and I think that you know Rolex doesn't market at all at, at all, right? Rolex's idea of marketing is putting a billboard in in a prominent location with just a crown on it and nothing else. And whether that's good or bad or whatever, Rolex doesn't have to market. You know, there are some things about the way Rolex markets, or specifically the way Rolex rolls out watches, that are questionable for me as a consumer. I, what's the point of this? Um, <clears throat> you, you know, 
everybody wants their sport watches and they have low volume of sports watches, but they know what they're doing. Oh yeah, they're uh, they're generating demand. Omega and Tag are are marketing themselves much more traditionally. You, you know, mm-hmm. Omega and Omega's got a ton of ambassadors. Cindy Crawford has been. Oh, like, I know they have a ton of ambassadors, but I don't think the year. same. And their PGA tour. I, I mean, they're doing really similar things. I think Omega's just doing it at a little bit better, at a little bit higher level. Which is not to say that there's not other brands that do the same thing. You know, Hublot obviously is doing similar things, but they're coming in at you know way higher yeah. you know entry level who blows are, are 10 times as much you know as an entry level omega so um you know and on i mean related uh and when we're since we're talking about brand ambassadors you know who um who wears a speedmaster tell me stone cold steve austin oh really yeah i can see that he seems like a speedmaster guy yeah <laughs> so yeah joe biden did too but stone cold steve austin i think is cooler than joe biden I mean, I, I like Papa Joe. So do I. But if you say, hey, you, you get to sit down, have wings and beer with one of these two people. I'm Joe Biden every day of the week. Really? I'm every going Stone day Cold of the Steve week. Austin. I, would, I don't care about Stone Cold Steve Austin at all. I, Me I either. I can't imagine he would have anything to, to say that I... Well, he, I mean, everybody has interesting things to say. Joe Biden every day of the uh, week. I would I would actually pay a lot of money if someone was like, if you have 500 bucks, you can have lunch with Joe Biden. I'd be like, I'd consider that. He knows more about the machine than... than and that's fascinating to me, and I love it. I'm just going to read his book. Yeah. I don't know, man. I would much rather have Wings and Beer with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. I, I could see. I could see. I could see being, being there, depending on what kind of mood I was in. It's, it's Joe Biden for me. <laughs> we're just, we're going to have to agree to disagree on this We're going to have to. Brother. I'm going to call... Uh... I'm gonna call Steve and he'll fix this right up. <laughs> so let's let's talk about watches, man. We're babbling. Uh, you, you know, first first and foremost, your first watch, and and if it hadn't have been your first watch, it'd have been my first watch. Mine is, and it's it is unique in the line. It's the Speedmaster Pro, uh, 1969 20th anniversary edition, and 20th anniversary of the Being, Apollo 11. Yeah, the Apollo 11. So r- reason I picked it's twofold. One. This is such a cool watch. Number two is this is the only Omega that I could reasonably see myself purchasing because it's a birth year watch. Oh, it's a birth year for you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now you guys know how old Andrew is. Now I know how old he is, too. Yeah. yeah no, this this is sort of the quintessential. Um, this is sort of the quintessential Speedmaster Pro. It, it, this one comes on leather, and I don't know if these have a bracelet option. I'd certainly want a bracelet. It's got... Apollo 11, 1969, engraved into the case side. Uh, Hesalite crystal. This is this is the moon watch. Yeah, it's it's the one. So, is this the 1861 movement? Uh, I didn't look that far, but I I think so. This is the. It doesn't say because it's Chrono 24. I think it's an 1861 movement. Oh, it's the 861. So it's oh. the predecessor to the 1861. Now it's on Chrono 24 right now. With no price listed. It says price on request. Right. And I know what that means. If you have to ask. If you got to ask. You yeah. definitely can. But looking through Omegas, I have, without ever having handled one, I'm struggling to find the value. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm struggling. And maybe it's just where I am, like where I am financially, where I am in, in the watch world. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know where Omega's place is in my life. 
Well, and, and you know, this this argument is as old as as watches, as as old as anything. Um, but but right, you're you're buying the brand as much as mm-hmm. anything. Uh, Omega has a fantastic history, and they're to this day, unlike Bulova, which we talked about recently, um, Omega has continued to be at the forefront. Uh, they're continuing to develop. Uh, and they're developing the staples. They're not developing on the fringes. They're developing at the heart of watchmaking. Yeah. You know, traditional mechanical movements, traditional uh, automatic and mechanical chronographs. They're continuously innovating both in terms of decoration and, uh, and, and the mechanics of the movement itself. And they're making it in a, in a really great uh, in a really great watch. The, the case work and, and everything is up there. But with that said, how much more time, attention, and detail goes into a Speedmaster, a modern-day Speedmaster Pro, say, than goes into a, you know, a Notice Avalon or a Monta Triumph, you, mm-hmm. you know, something that's going to come in at, at a tenth to a twentieth of the price. Um, where does that value go for, for you as a consumer? And, and you and I continue to come back to this point. Watches are not about... Watches are not about the movement you get, or you know, the amount of water resistance, or the the brightness of the loom. It's what it does for you. It's something else. There's not an Omega in the catalog that I've seen that when I see, I say, in the, without looking at the price. There's plenty of watches that I've seen without looking at the price and being like, I need this watch. Nothing in the Omega catalog does that for me. Well, I'll tell you, you 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 know as well as I do, I'm in love with the Speedmaster Pro, and I'll get one someday. Thirty five hundred bucks is is your your walking point for a Speedmaster Pro on a bracelet. And that's with the Hesalite crystal, um, you, you know, their plastic mm-hmm. crystal, and and a non sandwich dial. You, you know, that's the sort of run of the mill Moonwatch Speedmaster Pro, and less for a Speedmaster Reduced, which is the smaller, the thirty nine or thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the little bit smaller, you know, 2500 or so for a Speedmaster Reduced, if you keep your eyes open. So that's a bucket load of change. Yeah. For a watch that, is it special to you because of the iconic position it has within the watch world? Or for some other reason? Well, and I'll have to admit, I really like the idea of putting on a, a Speedy and going out and having someone be like, oh, is that a Speedmaster? Oh, yeah, it is. You know, oh, yeah, I'm wearing my Speedy today. My Seiko has been getting a lot of wear, you know, but is that a good reason? I don't know. When I say that, it feels vain or, or yucky, but I don't know. I don't, I mean, There's something to it. There is, there absolutely is. And it's not to, to minimize the, the, uh, the pleasure that you would undoubtedly get from this watch. Yeah. Cause this is not a watch you're going to put on and, and, and ho hum about. No, this is obviously going to feel great and it's going to look great, yeah. but outside of the, of the prestige that comes along with it. Well, and I you mean, are you are getting quality to quality mechanics, and so I think there's. Some I mean, you can get chronometers too. for for quite a bit less than this. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that, that's they're they're hitting the same specifications. They're still getting that chronometer certification. Yeah. You're just you're not getting the you're not getting the Omega. Well, so my first watch is uh, is a Seamaster from their Seamaster line. This is actually the Seamaster Railmaster, which seems like a regrettable name to me but um i think that they poseidon i think when they re-released the railmaster a couple of years ago instead of giving it its sort of own space right because i don't think that there are are there any underwater railroads 
The channel. The channel. <laughs> is it the channel? Yeah, I guess it is underwater. It's uh, just not. I mean, it, it's underwater. It's, dry. it's just not. Yeah. It's dry. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, I think that they probably, in sort of a marketing decision, tucked this under the Seamaster because it's it's <laughs> it's got the. Um, you know, a Seamaster case. It's got a similar style case to the Aquaterra, you, you know, these twisted lugs, which Omega is known for. And it's a gorgeous watch. Mm-hmm. This is one of one of the watches that comes up in best, best field watch discussions. And, and I probably wouldn't call this a field watch, but... Hell no! The... the <laughs> well, but the point you made is is why isn't it a field watch when we were talking about field watches before? And, and, I, and I think the same could be said for this. This is a classic sort of... Um, painted dial with with markers all the way around, uh, just four markers. So you gonna bang it up? I will. I mean, I I would probably wear this. You know, if I bought a watch like this, I'd probably just wear it because you'd never be able to buy another watch again. It, yeah, well, maybe maybe that's true. Um, this thing's gorgeous. It is. There's uh, no debate about it. They're all beautiful. And, and you know, they're not even out of this world money you know i think that you can get one of these um for about 3500 bucks um brand new brand new on joma shop i think you can get one of these for about 3500 bucks so you you know that's not where you or i are at in in terms of our watch buying right now but i mean i don't see any reason why either one of us or both of us couldn't be there in the future so it's it's in there if i was going to go just buy a watch let's say i'm just a guy and I want to buy a watch, and I want to spend, you know, uh, a couple weeks' salary on it. And I know what my salary, I know what my my budget is. I, I love this thing, man, and, and I love the price, and I love the size. I think it comes in at about forty millimeters with a twenty millimeter lug width. I mean, it, I, I'm not not disparaging the beauty of these watches. Now, when the Realmaster came out, it was intended to be a uh, like a really highly anti-magnetic watch, and I think the original Realmasters were like leaps and bounds above anybody else right when it came out. And then and then right around the same time, Rolex has their Melgoss, and there's other companies doing really similar things right at the same time, but it, it's this laboratory environment watch that's meant to withstand, you know, high magnetism and uh, and be really sort of durable in that sense. Um, and I think it's cool. I think it's a great reissue. I think that they did it right. I don't love Vintage Loom ever. I love Vintage Loom even less on a $3,500 watch. Um, that is a, you know, that is a purely aesthetic feature that I think is kind of tacky, you know, like buying $200 jeans with tears on them. Uh, if I buy $200 jeans, I want it to I want the denim to be raw and fresh and conform to my body. Uh, and, and this is a little different because this loom isn't going to conform to your body. But I want to be responsible for I the age patina. It. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So that's that's an aesthetic decision, and it is what it is. And, and lots of people love this watch. That would be my one sort of not don't like. The case shape is brilliant. I think modern loom would look weird on this watch. It, I mean, it, you wouldn't know. It would just be white and and not brown. I think the brown looks right. There's something about it that yeah. is really attractive. So yeah, I love that. I love that. And, and you know, this is a weird episode. We usually give you guys options for shit that you might buy. You might buy this. I don't know. But these aren't these aren't really. We're not really looking at these as affordable options. What can you buy now? Go to Amazon.com. Yeah. So this is a little bit different for us. We're having fun with it. We wanted to look at a brand 
uh, like Omega because they are such a cool brand. I don't think so anymore. Even as much as they suck. Next up for me is the uh, Seamaster Bullhead, the Coaxial Chrono. Uh, and it says it's 43 by 43, which is hard to hard to grasp because it's kind of a, it's an interesting case shape. I mean, it's a bullhead case shape. It is slimmer at the bottom and then tapers out as we go towards the 12 o'clock of the dial. <clears throat> and I picked this because it's, it's a unique watch inside of the Omega collection with the chronograph functionality um, between the 11 and 1 o'clock as opposed to the uh, 3 or the, the 2 and and four o'clock positions that you typically see pushers at. And I'm sure those pushers are just, they probably feel so good to, to, I, if I had this watch, I would never stop timing things. Everything would get timed and it's beautiful. It is gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, We have right up right now up the, the steel case, white dial, um, red, white, and blue accents over the entirety of that dial. And everything looks terrific on it. The references on this on these are nuts, so we're not even gonna read them. We'll put we'll put links to these in the show notes. But you, you know this this is not a watch that's available online right now. I'm sure you could get it at boutiques. Uh, boutiques. Boutiques, man, you are on fire today. <laughs> is it like Bo Peeps? Uh, it, you know, I, I'm sure you can still get this watch new. Um, you, you know, whether it's it's dead stock or, or whatever i don't know or, or galleries but it's 9600 bucks but it's not a cheap watch that's right I, I i bet you could i bet you can pick this watch up for closer to five or six um that's better that yeah that would be my guess um you, you know which is i know for for us i mean it's all just i'm not going to spend it money so it doesn't really matter you mm-hmm. know it, it, whether it's a thirty thousand dollar nautilus or or uh a ten thousand dollar bullhead omega we're not spending it so it doesn't matter but I, I mean, the difference between five thousand and ten thousand is a lot. Yeah, I could buy it's this double. It, it, that's right. That's right. That's a lot of SKXs. And, and so you, you know, this watch big, uh, but it's got that sort of bullhead classic it's, stopwatch look to it. I really like this. It's a cool watch. When, when I looked at the as as I'm looking through the Omega catalog, this is the one watch that when I saw it, I was like, "Ooh, you're kind of cool." Yeah, I like you. You 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 don't you break the mold of what I expect from Omega, because what I feel most Omegas you can look at it and be like, oh Omega, 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 and this one this stands out from the from the crowd of what they of what they offer. Well, and you know I I think it, it's also offering you, you know the best in timekeeping too. So this coaxial chronometer movement is maybe one of the best sort of traditional mechanical movements around and and i looked into a little bit about the coaxial movements did you did you do that at all uh i did and, and so they pioneered a couple things that are huge one of the things that they pioneered is a tourbillon wristwatch right the first one right the first one and then they did a coaxial escapement which not dissimilar from an atomic clock is a little bit beyond my understanding my understanding is they add an extra gear, the coaxial gear, which allows the watch to compensate for different viscosity uh, lubrication and also lack of lubrication. Yes. So it makes it less reliant on the viscosity and the presence of lubrication. And makes it less expensive and less frequent to service. That's right. I sort of understand why, and I, but at the same time, I, I would have to go back and read it a couple more times and give myself like a couple days to digest through it and figure it out because it's 
Well, and you'd probably have to start to be, be able to understand that you probably have to start with a foundation in, in watchmaking yeah. uh, uh, knowledge that I don't think either one of us at this point has. So, Or maybe we'll never acquire. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not, something, it's not something that I've been extremely motivated to, to acquire at this point. And that might change as we go along the way and we need to figure out new things to, to learn about and think about. But uh, as of right now... I'm satisfying having a relatively surfacy knowledge of these of these mechanics. Yeah, I'm okay with it. Yeah. So yeah, the, the that's a great it's a great watch. Take check it out. We'll put a link to the show notes as usual. Uh, do you know what this this uh, crown at the bottom does? <clears throat> Pass. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So that's. <laughs> So the last one I picked, this is the Omega Speedmaster Mark II. This is uh, a watch that came out in the late 60s and, and was around for a few years. It's in the Speedmaster Mark series, what I'd call the Mark series. They've got Mark II, three, four, five, 5, um, and they're all, they're all a little bit different. This is the Mark II. This is a barrel-cased uh, chronograph, and I think that these originally had that 861 or 1861 movement, which is that le- one of the legendary... Um, one of the legendary Omega movements. Um, I love this watch. This reminds me of that Tag Heuer, um, that Tag Heuer Porsche Orfina, really classic barrel cased chronograph. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it falls right in with those and the Dan Henry, Dan Henry 1972, you, you know, it is, <clears throat> is in this, is in this lineage it's it's got they've got a shared ancestry shared dna what i i I don't remember if i said this already since we've been recording because we talked about this before i feel like omega is a bunch of engineers slash designers and they are just looking for which is why they have a fairly limited catalog Mm -hmm. what they do they do really well Mm -hmm. and they're making what they do better there's not a whole lot of branching out from the design cues that they are that they know and are comfortable with. Well, and they do. You know, they, they've got their their Aquaterra Seamaster series, which have some really fantastic dial choices. But I think you're right in, in terms of you, you know some of their staples. They have probably one of the most identifiable dial uh, dial DNA. You, you know, you see mm-hmm. a, an Omega dial, and it's like, oh, that's an Omega without without necessarily knowing it is and, and and you know people refer you've got your new seiko ssb chronograph and and i've heard people refer to that watch as a as a a speedmaster homage and and i think and i don't think that's true but i think that what it is is the gravitation of the brain to go to this as the iconic racing chronograph yeah i mean in in that vein any black dialed mm-hmm. racing chronograph would be a Speedmaster homage, which I don't think is the case. And maybe not totally fair. Uh, but I really like this watch. I think that if you're sort of looking for uh, a dip into a dip into a luxury world, you, you can get these. Uh, there's, so there's an, the original, the 1970s uh, Mark IIs, and then they re-released these a couple years ago. Um, probably about 2000 bucks for the original uh, 2500 for the originals and as much as 3500 used for these the, the new versions they're really close in shape 40 41 by 45 millimeters for the ogs and 42 by 46 for the for the new version so pretty comparable um you know i, I think you could do a lot worse than this i think that they're really cool for 2k if i had 2k laying around something that, that i wouldn't be 
uh, totally, uh, you know, find objectionable. I think it's beautiful, and and I think it would fit the same part of my collection as that Dan Henry, my my Dan Henry seventy two, or a Porsche Orfina. Oh, so here's what we can do: <clears throat> you can get this, and then whichever one you like more, give you it keep, to you, and then you you give me the one that you don't like. Fair enough. Fair enough. So. Uh, you know that's that's our last watch we're not gonna you know obviously there's no hey go buy it now on amazon.com for this episode uh and and sorry about that you guys will survive but we just wanted to talk about this brand because i think it's i think omega gets some of the most love in terms of affordable collectors i think that it seems like one of the most obvious choices for your first step into the luxury watch world um and 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 i think that there are a lot of good reasons for that I, i think omega as a as a company is right there where it's supposed to be where i would expect it to be in terms of innovation mm-hmm. uh finishing uh the the models they offer you, you know the sizes that they're offering watches in um are, are all where i as a as a watch uh, as a watch enthusiast want them to be i just don't know that i can justify the extra money you, you know when i'm looking at this uh notice avalon and and i don't know that there's anything in the in the Omega catalog that that's a direct correlation to this, you know, maybe, maybe the bigger, uh, Seamaster pro, but w- when I'm looking at these things, I'm wondering this Omega or a Tudor, for instance, you know, one of my friends got a Pelagos that I wear, uh, I, I've worn recently and I'm thinking what, what more am I getting here besides I, the name? I, I wonder that too. And that's, that's why, that's why we opened the show the way that we did is because there's, if you gave me $2,000 and said you can either buy a Mark II or three, four other watches mm-hmm. that aren't, that aren't going to fill the void, I don't know that I would, I don't know that I'd pull the trigger on the Omega. Well, maybe they, maybe it's just because they don't, they don't resonate with me. I, maybe it's because they're just so far out of my price range that I can't even conceptualize purchasing one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I pass. <laughs> well and, and you know we're both pretty young watch collectors too i mean not not that we're either one of us particularly young but um just in in where we we land in the in the collecting world so you know our palettes may our palettes may develop and and i think i've already seen it happening in my own collection is that i as i get more watches through the door i'm more inclined to to slow down on the purchase and buy the thing that's a little bit more expensive so you, you know, it seems like it's a pretty big jump to get here, though, when I could get a, a Monta Triumph, uh, which is a watch that I think probably um, really is on par in terms of finishing with, with some of these watches for, for half, uh, you know, or between between 20 to 50 percent of the cost. Um, I, I think it becomes harder to make those decisions. You know, I've got kids that are going to go to college someday, hopefully. Unless you buy one of these, but then, then, and then you start to think about, okay, well, the finishing's great. You know, you're you're looking at the polish, but we'll look at the movement. You could buy a Casio Atomic watch for thirty bucks and have a more accurate movement. So, can I wrap up the Omega the Omega conversation with one thing? Yes. The <laughs> Bond style. Omega Seamaster Pro bracelet is the greatest bracelet ever made. Yeah, that's. I'm I'm willing to accept that without ever having handled one. <laughs> it's the greatest bracelet ever made. Somebody on Instagram posted the other day or sent me a, a DM of they had they had purchased a Speedmaster Pro, the Hesselite Speedy Pro, and had a 
had an SMP bracelet that they stuck on there. And they sent me the picture. And I was like, is that an SMP bracelet on that thing? He was like, good eye. I was like, that is literally my sort of dream Omega watch is the SMP bracelet on a Speedmaster Pro. So I had a little, I had a little Twitter patient heart fluctuation, but I'll get over it. I hope so. Other things. I just got one other thing to talk about. Uh, Netflix has a show called Friends from College. Um, Okay. What is this? It is a kind of a dramedy. Um, uh, Keegan, Keegan um, Peel, isn't it? Uh, And a handful of people. Those are two Ke- people. Keegan, no, no, no. Keegan, Keegan Michael Key. Yeah. Keen Peel. I was sorry. Keegan, uh, so. Suck it. He's in it. It's got a lineup of folks you recognize. The whole premise of the show is that, I mean, it opens with, with two people in a hotel together. And then you come to find out they've been friends for 20 years and are also married to other people. Uh, and then, you know, this whole college group of friends consolidates down into this party and it's all the drama of exposing affairs and that's season one is exposing the affairs and season two is kind of them putting their lives back together after they have come to the light come to the surface uh and season two just dropped which is why i'm talking about it so i've i've watched a handful of episodes on it and it, season two is a little bit more serious i think um but netflix has just had s- such good content in their original it's series it's a netflix right original yeah it's a netflix original or maybe it's one they bought i don't know sometimes netflix doesn't do a good job telling you what shows they bought versus what shows they created i'm not sure it's in their interest to to tell us well it's in my interest because i'll watch a lot less shows that they bought uh <laughs> versus show well i don't know yeah, yeah i right. just i'd like to know i'd yeah. like to see the exclusive tag versus the original tag sure and maybe they do i don't know no so this is good it's good it's absolutely worth a watch uh, 20 episodes are live and streaming right now. Um, get some good laughs out of it. Sometimes it's a little bit heavy. Sometimes you're just like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, <laughs> is this like, uh, this is us heavy or no, no, not like this is, well, excuse me. I never watched this is us. Come on. I haven't. Come it, on. I've watched, I watched about 10 minutes of an episode and left the room. You're like, nope. It's, it's pure drama for drama's sake. I I'm think. Out. Yeah. It, I'm not interested. This is at least funny. There's good stories. They do really good character development. Um, Absolutely worth a watch if you're looking for a new Netflix show. Okay. Because by now you should be definitely through Norseman, definitely through Last Kingdom. Right. Catch up, people. Yeah. There's going to be a big, sharp line on our... It's going to be on our audacity. Sorry. Uh, Can we talk about fishing? Yeah. Can we talk about fly fishing? We We should. Okay. So, you know me. Because we do so much time watch podcasting, we don't talk about fishing as much as we ought to and a couple of people asked us hey when are you guys going to talk about fishing well we'll talk about that so you you, you know me i do I, I when i buy things i do the full the full sort of set up my tent in the front room with my laptop and mm-hmm. figure out what i'm going to buy and so i have purchased at this this point literally thousands of dollars worth of fly fishing equipment reasonable say uh and and i fairly regularly i and and, I'll, and that is just that is not to say that i have bought all the expensive fly fishing equipment or or even that i have all that much fly fishing equipment but it adds up fly fishing equipment adds up and 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 so i will say that i am a resource for for people in my life who want to get into fly fishing so i have on numerous occasions received messages from folks that say hey i want to get started with fly fishing what should i buy i've gotten that message from me my good friend andrew 
I've gotten that message from from other people in my life. It, it I, I don't know if it was, I was. I didn't say what should I buy. I sent you this and I said, "What are your thoughts?" Oh come on. You, you continue. The... <laughs> I want to say. I want to say this. You do not have to be afraid of cheap fly fishing gear. That's my take. Where I'm at now with medium level equipment, I would say for someone who wants to get into fly fishing, if you have $2,000 to spend, if you have $2,000 to spend on fly fishing equipment, don't come ask me what to buy. Go to your local fly shop and say, what should I buy? If you've got $500 to spend to get started with fly fishing from scratch, you can do it. You can probably do it for less than that, and you should. Mm -hmm. And you should. Now, I did come up with some options because I want people to feel comfortable with buying these things to get started with fly fishing. First, I'll say fly fishing. I'm going to go on a little tangent here. Do it. We're going to go a little long. Happens. Fly fishing is something that's very cool for people who like gear. You like gear because you're listening to us talk about watches, knucklehead. Who does that? Who listens to me talk about watches? I do. Yeah, I do too. Uh, so fly fishing is perfect for gear people. It is, it, it's, there's a lot of gear involved. Um, the no, there doesn't have to be, there can be a lot of gear involved. Th- that's right. <clears throat> but fly fishing is best. Here's where fly fishing is best. On the water. Fly fishing is best in a river that's between 15 and a hundred feet across for trout. Now you can fly fish for salmon. You can fly fish for steelhead. You can fly fish for bass. You can fly fish for tarpon in the Caribbean. Which we're going to try. <laughs> uh, you, you know, you can do you can do any kind of fishing you want with fly fishing. And there's spay rods, which these big two-handed rods. There are switch rods. There is any number of gadget that you can do to catch other fish. But what I'll tell you is that you can, with a piece of bamboo, make a rod... And with no, with just a basket to hold your line, go to a 15-foot river and catch a fish on a fly exactly the way you were intended to fly fishing. Now, I'm not going to recommend that because I think that's probably... It wouldn't be as much fun. In today's day and age, maybe not the best way to get started. But what I am saying is you can go... My wrists pop. Okay. <laughs> you can go to Cabela's and spend 125 to $150 on a rod and reel and enjoy the shit out of that i paid a for a very long time i paid 89 for my combo because it was the previous year's model and so i've got some i've got some options depending on what your prices are piscafun is a brand that makes very cheap fly fishing equipment and not all of it's great all of it's serviceable you can get a rod and reel for 80 bucks Mm -hmm. cabela's you can get i think i think it's three creeks or i can't remember what their sort of low-end stuff is they have a few tiers and all of it is serviceable. Echo is another company that makes serviceable, some of it's even better than serviceable. They have a line called the Echo Carbon or Echo Carbon XL, which is just sort of above um, the, the entry level. You, you know, if you have 120, 130 bucks, you can get into an Echo Carbon rod, which is a killer rod. It's as good as 250, $350 rods great action i've fished on them they're great okuma okuma in particular the slv line Mm -hmm. of reels fantastic they're cast aluminum um but they're but they're solid and and they're great um for weighting equipment i really like a brand called reddington and you can get into reddington waders and boots for under 200 bucks yep 
You can also go to Cabela's and buy whatever, and it will work. And it will. Cabela's work. has a pair of felt bought, felt sold boots for fifty bucks. So my point here is, which you can't use in all fifty states. So. You you can't. Uh, some states are rubber only. Uh, I, I I have rubber with studs at this point, but I think if I was going to do it again, I'd buy felt. Um, so my my point is this. My point is, fly fishing on a fifteen to hundred foot river is done very well with a medium action not fancy schmancy you don't need a a a, you know one of these high-end uh super light super fast rods get anything and go out and get going if you want to fly fish and you do want to fly fish do it on the cheap yeah because you could spend five thousand dollars on fly fishing gear ain't gonna do you a lick of good if you're not on the water you could spend three hundred dollars on fly fishing gear and that's a lot of gear between rod reel flies waders boots and you get it out on the water it'll be worth it and And if you're in the willamette valley and you want to fish let us know we'll go fish with you we'll go fish with you for sure you you know if i if i lost all my fly fishing equipment today i'd go buy an echo carbon a five weight echo carbon an akuma slv reddington waders reddington boots that's what i would buy i would buy exactly that setup i would do same rod and reel setup but i would go get the cabela's special wader and boots and you, and you know what that's someone these are two two people who fish a lot and we have better equipment than that at this point um but we, we don't need the better equipment you know it's just like cameras if i lost all my camera equipment i'd go buy a dirt cheap nikon you know either a 5000 series or a 7000 series uh and and probably a lot of the same lenses i have right now but the lenses i have right now are used and cheap mm-hmm. and and i'd make killer photos with you them. might even buy your stolen lenses off of ebay right i might <laughs> <laughs> unwittingly so uh I, I don't know if that's a diatribe or whatever folks have talked to us have asked us to talk about fishing i thought that was a good a good sort of segue into fishing because i i, I get this question a lot what should i buy should i buy do i need one of these expensive z-axis rods you, you know here's the thing if you can afford it you might get joy out of it just like if you can afford a you know a nikon d810 or whatever you might get joy out or of that. sims gear that's right i'm never gonna wear it well i'll tell you i've got sims waders and i love them and 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 it, you know I, I think they were a great upgrade where i was at the time i was like this makes sense for me to get it I, i've got the money for them and i love those and i've got sims boots too and i love them and so those were good upgrades for me but if i was just getting started off if i was having to buy everything at once i, I would buy i would buy lower lower equipment yeah you, you know but just buying waders if, if that's all you need is a new pair of waders then think about upgrading don't do it when you're buying everything at once unless for some reason somebody gave you a blank check and save a hundred bucks for flies, uh, and yeah. a license, and yeah, and, and you know, I went salmon fishing a few months ago. Uh, my company sent me out on uh, on this guide that we keep on retainer, uh, and they said all you need to do, just buy your license and tag. Cool. We got out there, and there's this fella that is known for making some questionable decisions. He didn't have a license. He pulled a fish on. And the the guide says, "All right, uh, species, whatever area, whatever." And he goes, "What do you mean? What do you mean?" He goes, "Write it down." And he's like, "On what? what an no license, no tag." I made the joke. It was funny. I pulled a fish on twenty minutes prior, and he said it, and I was like, "Oh, what am I supposed to write that on?" And I'm pulling my license out, and he yeah. laughs, and then this guy says it, and I was like, "Really? I just said it." I'm like. It, we got it out of the way. First fish on the boat. He just didn't have a tag at all. He just he didn't have a license or a tag. Nothing. The guys didn't let him fish anymore. No, he just sat there and drank beer. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about fishing. Sorry for uh, 
when we fish more we'll talk more about fishing too. (laughs) (laughs) so i guess we wrap it up right i guess it's that time yeah next time you hear from us we'll be in mexico hopefully well no Oh yeah, we'll have you'll got, hopefully we'll have already gotten back from Mexico, assuming we don't have technical difficulties. Yeah, yeah, this will be the the week or two weeks after Mexico. Well, sucks to be back from Mexico, y'all. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another hour of Forty and Twenty. Don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye bye. Bumming on Tremolo by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.